Hello and welcome to episode 16 of our Therapy Tales podcast featuring Jessica Prost, animal behaviourist, and Don Walton, human therapist. And Jess wanted to introduce me today. I was expecting something a little more dramatic, I have to say. I was like, a dramatic voice. Oh, is that what it was? Okay. I'm also trying to speak up because apparently I'm really quiet. Yeah, you come I across sound, quieter. I sound louder in my head. <laughs> I do. I'm wondering if it's this hat. Yeah, so, so Jess is wearing her cowboy hat, which means that she's creating kind of echo dome, maybe. But It's really loud in here for me. But then when we did a <laughs> test, it was quite quiet, so... I shall speak up. Whilst eating a sandwich. Yes. Um, so, well, firstly, let's start with some apologies. Um, it's been a long time. It's like, it's been a long time since our last confession, right? It's been a long time. <laughs> <laughs> it's been over a week, probably, since our last recording. Um, Jess and I have both been ill. My voice has been kaput, and, and Jess hasn't been well. So, um, sitting in Starbucks, chatting has not been at the top of our list of things to do. In fact, yesterday, I think, was the first day you came to Starbucks after without a long you. time off. Without me, I know. And then had the gall to tell me all these interesting people that she was in Starbucks with, where I clearly said I was going to be with clients. It's like, yeah, but I'm in, I'm in Starbucks with all these interesting people. It's like, that's not very fair. That's just kind of cruel. How to punish Dawn. Yeah, <laughs> it's like FOMO. <laughs> like massive FOMO. <laughs> oh, how do I make it work so I can be everywhere at the same time? Um, and decided to carry on being normal therapist and just having my client sessions so um so yeah so we we normally what happens is uh, when jess and i do our walks and stuff together and we hang out together we just spend all our time kind of going that should be a podcast that should be a podcast and actually we did we did a thing the other day when we were last here actually i think where we were digging through some of my stuff and we were digging right into it and jess was like this should be a podcast i'm like i don't think you need to inflict everybody on everybody else <laughs> like a triggering podcast um so we didn't do that one as a podcast but anyway, but now what's happened is we've, we're in this kind of weird state where we've had this kind of critical mass where we've had so many things but not had any time to record any of them. So we're like, what are we talking about? So um, excuse us while we just go on the fly because I think we've got a starting subject, but we might go all over the place. Well, there's always so much. So I, I make a list of things that we can um, talk about as a topic and then we sort of don't do that. <laughs> so I'm going back to my list and yeah, we started talking a little bit about learning and, and uh, one of the things that, that's in the dog training world is dog can't learn when it's stressed so don't flood the dog because it's no way it's going to learn anyway but also trauma responses so we clearly have memories of bad experiences so we yeah. can't have it both ways can we we can't have a um, an animal that can't learn under stress but also remembers the stress yeah so it, it's it kind of gets back to the subject we touched on a few times which is how we learn and um, there's an article in new scientists um a couple of months back which was um, talking about this and talking about how we learn and how we, we need to make mistakes to learn. And um, the way they did it was uh, everybody read this particular chapter of this book and then they had a test on it at the end. But what they found is if they gave them the test before they'd read the chapter, which they obviously didn't do very well at, and then they read the chapter, they did a lot better at the test because they had directed learning. They had something to focus their attention on, whereas the people who didn't take the test first um, didn't do as well in the test after reading the chapter because they didn't have any direction for it. And, and one of the things that's really impo- important, and I cover this with my clients, is it's super important to mess up. It's super important to have those bad experiences because that's how we learn. We learn from when we learn by experience, and our experience has to be significant enough for us to notice a difference, which kind of ties into that you need to be almost in an emotional state because it's going to be significant enough. It's not going to be significant. If it's just purely logical, you're going to kind of logic your way around it. 
and I think that's probably the, why dogs may may well learn better under stress because they're in this state of just reacting and experiencing the reaction maybe. So how about hypervigilance? How does that affect our learning? So so there are, I, I think you are levels, and forgive me because they talk about this in the trauma world and, and I listened to a really good um, live workshop on this and they talked about the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system. They talked about the three levels and, and it's a really good explanation and I can't remember it at all so you can kind of comment on my podcast and say something about it but, but basically um, the, there is optimum, there is optimum states right so we change state all the time we can't stay in one state for any length of time and there is an optimum state to be in to facilitate learning and so hypervigilance is a trauma based extreme response in the same way as a formula, phobia sorry is an extreme form of anxiety right that's what how a phobia is defined so all you're going to do is you're going to survive you're going to get through it got to get through this just got to deal with this just got to survive it you know everything is a threat if you're hypervigilant it means by definition you can't distinguish between what is and isn't safe it means everything is unsafe that is not conducive to going oh well actually that was okay and i i, I dealt with that differently that's not conducive but then neither is being as a human fully logical because if our problems were totally logical then I wouldn't have any clients because my clients are switched on enough and self-aware enough to go this isn't this isn't right I shouldn't be like this and they would think their way past it so we can't think our way past it so it has to be in that sweet spot in the middle where we're not in such an extreme state that we're just kind of everything's not safe but we're also not in this just like really calm I don't need to learn this because it doesn't make a difference to my life kind of state yeah, okay. So, um, from my studies, I think they're talking about the, the auto... Speak up, Jess. <coughs> John thinks I don't talk from my tummy. <laughs> I talk from my throat, not my tummy. I talk from my diaphragm. I don't know how to do that. I need to get some, like... Need acting lessons. Acting? Did you do acting lessons? No, but I've done lots of public speaking. Oh. And I kind of... You don't look good at that. Well, I'm kind of, kind of yelling in a grass field. Well, they have, um, what is it, there's um, Toastmasters, have you ever heard of Toastmasters? I haven't. It's a, it's a club and it, you get, it teaches you public speaking basically, it's a group of people and you get together and every week you do a talk and somebody does a talk oh, every week that's and good. You, you just randomly, and you get feedback and you get, it's like a continual learning thing, so Toastmasters has that made a massive difference. super uh, useful for networking by the way. That's oh yes it is, it is, but there's <laughs> lots of super useful things for networking, it's just uh, in your own space, but yeah, so Toastmasters is quite... Many but TED Talks. There's, there's somebody, there's, there's the acting lab in Dundee that does acting classes and okay. things, so yeah, anyway. Right, I think you're talking about the autonomic nervous system. Yes, probably. So you've got uh, it's a ladder, so parasympathetic yeah. ventral vehicle is at the top, so that's um, where the co-regulate social engagement happens. Yep. And then you've got sympathetic halfway down the ladder, yep. which is danger mobilisation. And then you've got parasympathetic dorsal vehicle, which is life threat immobilisation. Yep. So that's what we would call your hypervigilant free state, right? Free state, yeah. Yeah. Um, or shut down actually. There's so learning needs to happen at all of those stages, otherwise we wouldn't learn from our mistakes is what you were saying before. Yeah, what I'm saying is if it goes too far into the hypervigilant state, then it, you can't it's learn. You're too switched yeah. off, it's shut down, right? So you're not going to learn anything in shut down, that's, that's too far gone. But if you're, um, if nothing's agitating you, I talk about catalysts, catalysts. So, so when my client might come and see me and 
they might have a couple of weeks that are really good and then something might happen you know they might have a, a run-in with somebody Let, let's say you know in, in the dog world um, we they've got to a place where they're okay about themselves but they go to a park and then somebody has a go at them about their dog right maybe that example the other day or quite a few weeks back now where Harpy was running at the bench and she wasn't she was just chasing a stick but the woman on the bench was like get your dog away so from me right yeah so so that can be very triggering for lots of people who are feeling very judged who are feeling very attacked and you know I haven't done anything wrong it can feel very unfair and it can send you into a bit of a state and um, that's a really good place to go okay what can I do about this what can I how can I see this differently why might that woman be reacting that way my why it be nothing to do with me now if we'd done a load of work and said, oh, it's not about you, it's about them, and everybody has their issues, but they didn't have an example like that, they'd assume they still have the problem. But if they have an example like that and they react differently from the way they've always reacted before, they go, oh, this is different, and the brain learns quicker because you've got a experience-based example. And positive hormones. Positive, uh, positive hormones, positive reinforcement, you know, and, and I think you talk about... Um, you know, we t- we've talked a lot about the positive only, force free, and all that sort of stuff. But it's known with kids, with dogs, with anybody, you learn better from being praised than you do from being punished. So punish means you avoid it, but praise means you learn from it, as opposed to learn to avoid it. Yeah. So um, it's the same with people. If you go into a situation that is really tricky, that causes you an emotional reaction, but you react differently or recover quicker, now you know with absolute certainty there's something different. Whereas if you just have that as a theoretical exercise, you're like, actually, I probably react exactly the same way as I've always reacted. Interesting. So we learn by making mistakes. Which is why you go on about being curious and asking questions of yourself. How how did I handle that? Go on about. Reflect, (laughs) reflect, right? (laughs) It's okay, yes. I'm too blunt for you, Dawn. No, I just love it. You say it all the time. It's really funny. Um, (laughs) Yeah, and I do go on about it because actually, for me, the key to success is not about getting your spiky stick out and beating yourself up when things don't work. Sure. That's, that's for me, the key to success is going, that was interesting. What did I learn from it? How can I use it? I think the jump, though, from being somebody who's um, beating yourself up because, damn it, I could have done that differently, um, to a person that um, goes, okay, so my dog didn't go past them, their reaction wasn't warranted, but that's okay because they're just doing them and they're probably stressed out because their dog's behaving that way. Um, that's a huge jump. It's a huge jump. But can you see the difference in learning? If you have two people in those scenarios, so one is going, oh my God, you know, this always happens. I need to avoid this and, you know, spiky stick. What's wrong with me? And, oh, that was interesting. What's wrong with them? Why would they react? It's a big deal as trying to convince an owner that when they come on a walk that they'll have a different dog at the end of the walk yeah. than at the start because they won't believe it at first. No, they won't until they experience it. So experience creates learning and what you know is the dogs that have the biggest change on the walks are the ones that start off the worst. That's true. Right? The ones that kind of go below the kind of parapet and they're just kind of mooching around then they don't feel they've gained as much from the walk. So here's a question. We've had quite a few people that had huge changes in the first walk. Now, that's lovely because they weren't expecting that and it's nice to have them go away so happy. Yeah. But the next walk's going to be the same because it takes so much time. I mean, time is my friend, right? Yes. Time is the thing that's going to create a new habit. Yeah. You can't just have a habit overnight. No. So it's going to be the same for a few weeks and you're also going to have setbacks on that time because we can't have the, the new path we've 
doesn't happen on its own. It's still yep. the old pathway. So how do we deal and how do we help people understand that, yes, there's big changes, but that's just, it's almost like looking through a window of what's possible. Yeah, so I than call it a sneak preview. Ah. It's a sneak preview. Um, you know, you go to the movies and you go and see a movie trailer for the film. And sometimes all the bits that are good in the film are actually the bit that are in the movie trailer and you actually see the film and you're like, that was the only good bit and it's nothing like it. Um, so, so it's that idea, sneak preview is a kind of short burst of what's possible. And that's, for me, the art of the possible is the phrase here. So now I've seen what's possible. I've seen a, a, a before and after difference, so I know it's possible. But you need to realize that that's not the way it now is. It's just possible to be there and if I keep with it. So when we talk about pathways, we have, you know, every time we do something new, two neurons fire off and a pathway is physically created, whatever animal, person, whatever. Every time we travel and repeat that pathway, it gets thicker and thicker. And that's the, that's the thing that gives you the dopamine, the good drug for doing it, that, the habit drug. So, so we grow these pathways through repetition over time. Now you come and we do something different and it's a good different, but it's still different. So what we've now got is a scrawny, pathetic little pathway that we've just grown. The other one is still just as thick, just as present. Can we call that the potential pathway? We can, if you'd like to. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got this really thick, well-trodden pathway that by default we're going to use, right? We're always going to use that, and then we've got this scrawny, pathetic one. So our job is to get the, the pathetic one thick enough that it drowns out the other one, that it becomes the pathway of choice. And that can only be done by experience that you learn from. I wonder if it's useful to, to draw this for people that are doing the course with us. So we've got this new, we haven't even updated our listeners. It's terrible. So we started the educational walks. <laughs> yes. And then it grew because people don't want to leave. So I can't keep exponentially taking people in. Otherwise, we'll have an exothermic reaction. <laughs> <laughs> in you. <laughs> in me, yeah. Um, so, yeah, we decided to screen people is that the right is that the right word to use no we we just started with pre-filter so that you don't word. get new people well <laughs> no the same word so we, they've come along to a four-week block and um pass that foundation course first and then they can come along to the educational walk and, and that filters out people who are going to stay for the long term and also some people just don't genuinely get on with some people yeah they? absolutely um, and so um yeah it makes us grow the right way yep so um what was the point in that? Um, about how we learn and how we can make it visible for people about how these pathways work. Sorry, so I was going to say to you, on the, on the course then, it would be nice visual to actually have the pathway. This is the new pathway. So the old pathway yeah. is, when I see a dog, as an extreme example, I'm a dog right now. Okay. When I see a dog, I need to... I'm seeing Jess as a dog, sorry. I'm just... Like, what sort of dog is Jess, actually? What do you think I would be? Mm, you see, you probably wouldn't like it because I'd probably say a, a shepherd or an Alsatian. I would say that too. Would you? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, cool. <laughs> Super loyal. Yeah. Slightly anxious. Okay. But well trained, so not yeah. so anxious. Yeah. I'm pretty bright. Oh, that's nice. Thank you. Okay. Um, and want to please everything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so really struggling off my thought now. So. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm the German Shepherd. I'm on my back legs lunging yep. at passers-by. So my default pathway is to I go, there's my trigger. So my yep. brain, brain, well, yep. I see it, brain triggers. This is what you need to do. And all we need to do is see it as just behavior. So all behavior serves a purpose, as Don always goes on about. <laughs> I'm just going to wind her up today. Um, 
Um, is what happens when you don't talk for a while, tell you. <laughs> All behaviour serves a purpose, and the purpose of that behaviour is stay away from me, I'm loud and scary. Yes. And the owner knows this, because the owner goes, well, I take this dog home and cuddle it. So, you know, yeah. my German Shepherd is just a big bear. Yeah. I, doesn't, I, doesn't, I don't want people to think that it's scary, but actually the German Shepherd's trying to be as scary as possible. And he's learned through positive reinforcement, when I act this way, people leave. So this yeah. is a good way to act. Yeah, yeah. So that's his, his really his pathway, strong good, solid, pathway. well yeah. travelled. Well travelled. So we want to make a new pathway, which is when I see people, I will sit here and gaze at my owner lovingly and wait for further instruction. Yes. Dead simple. Yeah. But we need to create a singularity, singular event, and then we need to become a regular event, so this habit. So the singularity becomes a regularity. That's from physics, by the way, just to add some of that in. Um, and we want to tell the owner that this slight pathway that you just created today for the first time, this one-off event you just created, is just a measly little, and it's a great idea to have this as a written, or a, a diagram, yep. it's a measly pathway. So when you are not paying attention, yep. somebody jumps out at you from behind the bushes, or you have, a, happens all the time. <laughs> you have a day off where your, <laughs> your brain isn't in gear, the dog and you will revert to that old yep. behaviour. And we need to, to shrink it down and, and stop it from happening to get that new behaviour happening. Yeah, and it is human nature to only focus on what's not right. We're not very good at focusing on what's right, okay? So we're going to spiky stick again. So we get the spiky stick out, didn't work, it's not doing it, all this sort of stuff. And what that does, guess what that does? Noisy people in Starbucks. And what that does is it reinforces pathways. So the pathway that's already well trodden, we're noticing it, we're dwelling on it, we're stewing on it, and that makes it thicker and thicker and thicker. And the new scrawny pathetic one that maybe we did have an example of that day, but it was just one moment amongst all the other ones. We just pay no attention to. We don't. So we don't thicken it at all. So so it's the, really hard to be that guy that, that goes over those bumps and goes, "That's okay." Yeah, it, it really is. And you, you know, so we're not trying to say, kind of be all happy, clappy, fluffy bunnies and unicorns, and go. Actually, we can ignore all the the bad behaviour or the wrong behaviour, um, and only focus on yeah, but. What we are saying is you have a choice about which learning you lock in, right? So it's not about denying or accepting, it's about choosing what you're going to lock in. So what we've observed on these walks is first week, fantastic. Second week, it's like, oh, you know, this makes a difference. I've got a different dog. Third week, slump. Third week, you know, we've had we've had people in tears because their dogs and they feel I've gone back to square one. You can't revert you can just not progress fast enough, right? And this is the important thing. So whatever you learn, you can't unlearn it. Your expectations are so high. Your expectations are high because you've had this sneak preview and this sneak preview was so awesome about what's possible that you never realize that you think that's it, done deal now. My sneak preview is actually my reality. And now I've, I've slipped back. No, you haven't slipped back. You just haven't yet reached the point where your new pathway is thick enough that that's the one that's always chosen. I'm wondering, this is completely um, just a thought, like no, no evidence scientific whatsoever. Um, I'm wondering, do you know when we have um, an event that causes us to have adrenaline? I'm, I'm thinking about um, a recent event where I was climbing and it was super scary, super dangerous, and we made it to the top. And then it was fantastic for like five minutes, we were high as kite, and then we had this like depressive mode for 20 minutes mm. afterwards when you have this like... Come, come down. Yeah, the, the come down, that's the word. So I'm wondering if that happens also, in, because if that's fractal, if you've got a bigger version of that that happens over a few weeks, where something, major events happen that's really positive, and then your your expectations have been so high, and then there's that, oh. 
actually what's happened is you've plateaued rather than having yeah you can't go back you can't you can't go back you can just not go forward fast um so so if we think about this as brain drugs so what you're talking about is like a serotonin release a kind of adrenaline and serotonin that make you feel super good you kind of see a difference but you've got to bear in mind that these these pathways the the well-traveled learned pathways release dopamine which is also a really good drug you know these are used as the chemical basis for developing yeah, heroin I what you're saying so by not treading those old pathways you're missing out yeah you're not getting your drugs you're going cold turkey even though it was doesn't matter that technically in the moment the event was better from a longer term thing you're not going to get drugs for that you're not getting drugs for it if you there's a book called the molecules of emotion uh, the, the molecules of emotion by candice pert and um, it's about the drugs industry and how they looked at countering it and things like this. Now, most of the book is her griping because she's a female scientist and actually her fellow colleagues got a Nobel Prize for the work that she was involved in and she didn't get any recognition for it. So she absolutely has a gripe because females in science don't do particularly well. But as you read the book, it can get kind of annoying that it all kind of comes back to this. But her book is brilliant. Um, the book, The Molecules of Motion, is really interesting at looking at the receptors and how drugs work and all that sort of thing. It's fascinating. So, but isn't that amazing then? So we've got, because you and I have got our work out with us, with dog owners, because we've got the dog that ultimately they're trying to change and they think is a separate entity than themselves. Mm-hmm. So, and in fact, some people would quite happily just pass the dog over and say, fix it and give me it back later. Yeah. And they, they do sometimes, right? Yeah, but then what happens when, they give, when you give it the back? Well, it goes right back to yeah, it, yeah. Yeah. Um, unless they change what they're doing. Um, and like most people that we work with understand that and yep. they will um, come along and, and, and learn with the dog but maybe not as much to begin with until they realise how yep. big a part they play. So what you're saying is that the old pathway for the German Shepherd is to lunge yep. and the new pathway is sit nicely and, and don't do that, right? But for the owners, the old pathway was my dog behaves this way and even though they don't want it to, they're still getting a dopamine release for the stress of they going are. for a walk with their dog. Yes. So when that no longer happens, they're experiencing essentially a come down. Exactly. Cold turkey. It's a horrible feeling. That feeling of this is not familiar. Our brains like familiar. And so when we do something new, we feel uncomfortable on a drug level, even though technically we think it's a better thing. We must know that on a subconscious level that asking for help will change the current situation and it will be uncomfortable to do that. Exactly, which is why it's so hard to do. Even if it's going to be positive eventually. Doesn't matter, yeah. Why it's so hard for people to come to therapy. Wow. And why it's so hard for me to help people in between sessions because I have no control over what happens in between sessions and I rely on curiosity and my client's ability to notice those differences. And in fact, the second session I have two weeks after the first one is all about this. It's all about, and, and the client will almost always come and say, yeah, it's been all right, but I still have this problem, right? So two weeks later, after we've had our first session, a client will sit there in front of me and say, I've still got this problem. And I will laugh out loud in their face and say, I'm flattered that you think I'm that good, that I've changed your life in two weeks, but I really can't. You know, it's not something that anybody can do for you because you learn by experience you learn by doing and we have that whole conversation and as the conversation progresses they start realizing all these things that actually changed over the last couple of weeks that they thought were small and insignificant because they weren't getting the drugs for them that are actually huge if we continue them so yeah and and we often find ourselves um with the dog guardians um showing them just how far they've come yeah 
kind of reminding them what they're like when they arrived and then you know talking about the first day um, and remember how you felt and so on and then they almost go oh yeah yeah and this is amazing it amazing how we forget then it's so our job to do if that we go back to that first question then about trauma and how we remember these events right right but we don't remember them too, do we? So trauma and um, I know it's stressful events are different. So sure. trauma is something that is too overwhelming and therefore can't be dealt with. So a traumatic event has not been coded and cannot be updated because it's created a shutdown space in your brain. So trauma is, you can't learn from a traumatic thing because you've not learned from the first thing in the first place. And so basically we're doing what I just did there, we're, we're misusing the word trauma because we, are. we use it a lot. We are, we're misusing um, it. And we should be using stressful event. Instead. Stressful event, anxious event, whatever. It should be emotionally charged event, also good, you know. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's a negative experience. Doesn't. Even if it's a negative experience, it could still be a learning experience for Absolutely. the animal or for the human. Absolutely. I mean, if you if you watch the Disney film Inside Out, they talk about core memories and things like that. A lot of people refer to Inside Out now. I was on a um, Ollie uh, One Life Lost Is Enough um, suicide training, and um, they were referring to Inside Out movie. Now, personally, I found it a little disappointing as a movie, but there are some real nuggets in it about. I don't think I've seen that one. Yeah, it's worth seeing. Um, it's about um, people that live in your brain and there's like happy and sad and angry and all these sort of things and then they talk about core memories which are the memories that really get locked in and I talk about this in, in a different way which is um, you know I, I think I've said before there's something like 7,363,228 minutes you experience by the time you're 14 years old not going to remember all of them you're going to remember the ones that are important for you to remember because you need them in later time. So that means that significant the, the significant memories, the ones with some emotional connection. And that means that you can get back to them super quickly because the emotion triggers now pinged you right straight back to that memory so your brain can react and keep you safe. Usually it's the unsafe ones, but it also includes the happy memories. And why don't, sort of segue here, why don't most therapists understand that by talking about those events, you're also then releasing the same physiology you did at the time of the event itself? You're also adding to it, right? Because your your brain doesn't remember anything as an absolute truth. Everything's subjective based on the age you were, based on the situation at the time, based on your emotion at the time, all that sort of stuff. So every single memory you have is neither true nor false. So if you compare memories with people who were there in your childhood, they either don't remember the same thing, or if they do, they remember it in a totally different way. So, so, you know, our memories are very subjective. Now, if we sit here and we talk about a memory that you had from when you were six years old, you're now bringing adult Jess and your understanding. You're going to bring Dawn understanding and whatever I say about it. And then we're going to add that. And then that, your brain will update your memory then. And it will add to it. And it will be bigger often because very often we say, oh, my God, that, you know, I've heard of psychologists telling my clients that was the most traumatic thing I've ever heard. I've heard of psychologists crying when a client tells them their story. I'm like, why would you cry? It's not your story. But that client walks away not only having their trauma in their memories, but the psychologist's reaction to their trauma. So every time their brain accesses, now it's really big, right? So, so yeah, we don't understand the, the neuroscience of how memories work and how they're used. So we stumble over them and, and some people, you know, do help a lot, but some people inadvertently make things a lot worse, especially if you do a talking therapy where I'm going to tell you everything I think about your memory. I've got one particular thing. I, I saw a person-centered counselor for a while up in Aberdeen and there was one particular event and she just used one word when I was describing something and I still remember that one word today and this was like 10, 15 years ago. And it's like every time I think of my sessions with her, I think about 
exactly that room and that word that she used because it was, was the word. <laughs> slippy was the word. Slippy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And it was just like, whoa, you know, for me it was and it's just stayed and it's updated my memory permanently. So yeah, we we consolidate learning when we're in an emotional state. We access it quicker and easier. And we have to then do something constructive with it. So it is not human nature to do something constructive with it. It's human nature to beat ourselves up and not doing what we expected ourselves to do. And avoid uncomfortable. And avoid, which reinforces the old pathways and doesn't create these new ones. So it takes a hell of a lot of self-awareness, which we've talked about leading on our walks and things, and determination to confront something that is uncomfortable. You're not getting any drugs for it. You're not getting any reward for it. And you need to go, I noticed that, that was good. And we can do it for others. So that's the, the skill we have because we, it's not like wait, where you have before and after pictures, you go, oh wow, I hadn't realized, right? With the brain, you don't, you don't have that. With, with the dog, because you don't have the before and after until they meet somebody else and they go, I can't believe how different your dog is. And it explains also why people keep coming back because that becomes the safe place where um, they're getting the dopamine response yeah, for being yeah, yeah. in a safe group. So we had, we had somebody who was on our six-week block of walks and she turned up with her dog on day one and she said, this is the last chance for this dog. This is, this is the last chance. She'd been to lots of training classes. It had and always been the worst. Bad, he, he wasn't that bad at oh, all. Okay. But actually, he's the most amazing, attentive, biddable. And she was like, I didn't even think he loved us. <laughs> I'm like, seriously? Have you not seen your dog? And by the end, she was like, my dog's awesome because but you know all that had happened was she'd been on six walks and she'd learned that her dog could come back to her if you behaved in the right way and her and her dog have a lovely relationship and it's an amazing little dog and does it go off sometimes and not listen to it of course it does because it's a dog, it's a dog yeah and there's variables in it she's but changed her she's dog. changed so she doesn't kind of go oh god i'm back at square one that's the important thing she goes you know he's off on one today and I need to be a bit different with him, put him on a lead more, something like that. She's not getting the spiky stick out so anymore. This isn't talked about in the dog training world at all. It's very much about what you do to the, the lab rat, yes. right? Because that's yeah. what we learned in the lab and science. Um, and the connection with the human isn't talked about. No. And I would love for there to be a course where the human-dog connection is the thing yes. at the centre of the course, yep. rather than how we train a dog. Yep. But actually, we change to handle what the dog's presenting us today. And you know you've had you've had people who've been offended, right? Because you've said before you come on the educational walk, I want you just to come without the dog. And they'll go, but my other dog's okay. It's just this dog. And you're like, yeah, but I need you. I need you to come and talk to you about the dog. And they they you know some people get very offended by you suggesting that they have something to do with their dog being. <laughs> it's like, come on, you know. Oh, another thing we haven't said is that we're also offering a certification. We are, we are, because because of this conversation, actually, because, you know, one of the things, so these new blocks that we're doing, we're putting more structure in it, but we're also realising that we need to do a lot to help the people on the walks understand how much they're progressing. You know, we, we at the end of it, have to go, do you not realise how your dog was at the start and end? And, and we have to help them when they have the lows and they think they're back at square one and help them understand the brain science and all that stuff. So we're doing all of this. recognise that's completely normal. It is completely normal. Is so it helpful to tell them up front they're going to experience a three-bit low? Um, they can't know. You only learn by experience. So unless you've experienced it, you don't know. 
but that's where your super clients have been really useful because they go I was there I remember what it was like that that can help them as telling them doesn't help as much but that's why you and I work together right because we, we kind of cover the what's happening in your brain at the same time as I what's happening with the dog. I <laughs> <laughs> There have been times I've had to go and patch up after Jess has um, yes has not been able to switch the face off and it's been like okay let's go. Actually really the funny one that, that we had was one Saturday evening and I, I've talked to you about this one because um, every now and again when we do the walks Jess will have a stop and we have a learning session and we have a little practice session and um, on this particular walk we stopped and Jess was trying to explain that you know, your dog should not demand affection from you. It, it kind of creates a sort of loop of behavior that a lot of the guardians don't like at all. And they're like, it's really demanding. So, so Jess was trying to explain that the way to break the pattern is make it your choice when they get the attention, not the dog's choice. And basically was then telling them, don't cuddle your dog, don't give your dog attention, don't let him up on the sofa, don't give, you know, don't don't do all those things that are the reason you've got a dog in the first place, right? So, so Jess At is the doing. moment, while training is Well, <laughs> yeah. So that's not what you made clear. So Jess is standing there talking to them because she knows the power in this and she understands where it all comes from. So I'm standing behind watching the people's faces as Jess says, "Don't cuddle your dog," and they're just just going, "No, no, that's you know, Can't do that. stupid woman doesn't know. It. I'm not going to do that. That's not what I came on this walk about." So Jess goes off to help another dog, and I'm like, for the next week. <laughs> so all we're going to ask is for the next week that you try this to see how you get on. <laughs> so it doesn't matter whether you agree with it or not. All we're going to ask is just give it one week of trying this. And they were like, oh, right, okay, we could do that. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's one of the things that I first uh, spoke to you about is miscommunication, right? And I know I'm quite abrupt sometimes, and I say things that you know I know is going to help. Um, but people don't realise that sometimes it's just a temporary thing. Yeah. It's, you know, a wee bit of do something yeah. to get to the next level, right? Yeah. Um, but also, when you hear people back from what they think that they heard you say. Oh, yeah. So, you know, one person said that I'd told them to never feed the dog again, to start <laughs> a dog. For, it's like, I never said that. No, I'm I know. I'm just asking you to get the dog to earn some of its food, you know. And then I had a lady this week in Starbucks point at me and say, you told me to go and see a psychologist before you'd work with me. I was like, no, I said that maybe we should work on your own anxiety. Yeah. And that's awful. Imagine, yeah. imagine going out there and telling the world that Jess said, go and see a psychologist. You're but, crazy. That's awful. Well, <laughs> yes, but it's not going to be uncommon. If you suggest to somebody that their dog behaviour is because of the way they reacted to them, then you'll have people who go massively insecure, wobbly, kind of, oh my God, I'm the worst person ever. Adding arms and legs. And then you'll have other people who just get really defensive and go, how dare you suggest? Yeah. Because I've actually, yeah. All of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you'll have all of that because that's human nature. So, so you know, the reason we work together is because that that's kind of my job is the human nature side of things. And your job is to help the guardians get the best out of their dog and help the dog get the best out of their, their guardians. So, you know, it is... But that, so I that crash through the forest, making a new pathway, <laughs> and you pick up all the sticks behind me. Yeah, make, make it a nice, tidy, safe place to walk along afterwards. Um, but you know, you, you need to you need to have that agitation, that catalyst for learning. So if it's just a kind of uh, it doesn't register, it doesn't sink in, they don't learn. So that sometimes yes, they're going to learn the wrong thing, they're going to hear the wrong thing from you. But equally, they're also you know going to learn when two dogs have a go at each other, and they can't. Everybody goes. <gasps> The dogs are having a go at each other and you just stand there and go let them they'll they'll teach each other what's okay and then like five minutes later the dogs are running around playing with each other because they they now understand their bound and then you're like see 
but they can't understand that they have to have the emotional reaction but because they've seen that stark before and after they'll have learned from that a lot better than if you just stood there in the field and said to them you know you have to let dogs talk to each other and teach each other how to be they wouldn't learn anything from that because that's not experience based so a little bit of self-indulgence just now i don't do that very often do i um i've been asking people that are sticking around their first experience with me right and just sort of correlating this in my head okay it's very interesting and especially the ones that have gone on to become trainers because it's um, it's not what you would class as a first positive experience if I were to be hearing that back. Yes. So yesterday, um, when we had the coffee shop moment without you. Without me, yeah. <laughs> um, while I was doing my day job. One of my friends I've known for a while has lost her, her dog recently. And um, we were speaking 10 years ago when she first got it as a puppy. It was it was an awful puppy. Right. Like, she was full on, like this dog should have been a police dog. Right. right. And um, she phoned me and she said her first experience of me was me saying, she said she got a German Shepherd and, she, and I said, oh my God, why did you do that? <laughs> <laughs> yep, that sounds like you. <laughs> <laughs> but she still stuck around. She's yes. still here 10 years on. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah, and that, I think that's the interesting thing is, I, I think um, it, it's hard for us self-aware people and it, it's actually a huge risk to say, what do you think of me or how did I come across? Um, because we're all we're all human and we're all going to hear the bit that we don't like and not the other bits um, but actually to be able to step beyond that and go but isn't it interesting because if I came across that way and I am I'm reacting and I, I think I'm a really bad person then but that person's gained so much from working with me and being around me and they've stuck around for a long time so maybe it's not a bad thing it is for some people but not for others so Choosing to be okay with who you are is really important. Well, I think probably one of the biggest things I've learned from you is um, that it's okay not to have everybody like you or love yeah. you. It's all right to just pick your... You're not the right person field. for everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're absolutely not. It's and, exhausting and trying to help the world. And actually, if you can only help the people that are going to work with you, that's that's great. That relieves the pressure. Yeah, it does. And, and, you know, working with somebody who isn't bought into the idea of working with you is not good for either of you. You know, and it, it stops the people who are ready to work with you having a space. You know, and that's that's the other way to think about it, because we aren't the solution to everybody's problem. We aren't the right person. I'm not a talking therapist. I don't sit and have, you know, for all you think on the podcast, I don't sit and chit-chat. I don't give most people a chance to tell me their whole life story. I know very little about a lot of the clients, because I'm a problem solver. I'm going to work out what's getting in the way of your life right now, where's it coming from, and I'm going to change it. I'm going to work with you to change it, and then we're going to see what difference that makes. If there's something left, we'll keep working until we've changed it, and I'll get you there. But you might never get a chance to tell me everything that's happened in your life. And that's... Some people don't want that. Some people want somebody to sit and listen to them. I need somebody to sit and listen to them, and and I'm not the right person for that, unless it's kind of a longer-term client, in which case... You know, I was on two and a half hours to my American client yesterday who phones me every few months and, and updates me on what's going on in her life. And, and when she's struggling, she just gives me a call and says, Dawn, I need somebody to talk to. And, and that's great. I love that. But, yeah, I'm not the right sort of person for a lot of things. And, and you're not either. Your way of training dogs. Some people want to be just told, do this, do that. And they also don't want to take ownership of it. Because if somebody comes on your walks, they own the change. Whereas if they go to a training class, they can say, that was a rubbish trainer. Oh, that's good. I like that. Yeah. You do have to own it, don't you? You do have to you own the change. To, um, and, I, and I suppose people that realise just how much that's going to involve, work that's going to involve, are going to go, whoa, I can't. I yeah. can't commit to that. 
yeah and so that's you know when my clients do testimonials they don't say dawn changed my life usually they are quite often say i wish i found her sooner but it's dawn gave me the tools yeah. to deal with this stuff which is really interesting wording for me because that suggests I do a CBT kind of thing where I give them all little tools and tasks to do and that's not how I work at all but they own the change it's theirs and they can adapt it and use it for the rest of their life in a permanent way and that's brilliant terrible for testimonials brilliant for um, my clients change okay on a final note I've got this question that's bugging me how are we okay. for time we're on 40 minutes we're good that's good just school <coughs> visit this week right mm. so um, there was some clapping. Okay. Yes. So the schools are doing this clap, clap, and the kids go clap, clap, and then they go clap, 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 and the kids go clap, clap, clap. Right? If I had two hands free, I would do it. Um, and it's cool. And it's like it, it was like you know this weird sort of primal. Conditioning. And I also clap. Like they're all clapping. I'm gonna <laughs> clap. Right? <laughs> yeah, they totally conditioned these kids. Right? Yeah. I'm gonna use the word brainwashed because it sounds more severe. Right? Okay. So here's interesting. I spoke to some parents. Recently. I said, oh yeah, our, our school does that too. We try it at home, doesn't work for the kids at home. Yeah. Why? Well, environment is a key factor in everything that you do. Mm. You know, you are not the same person when we're sitting in Starbucks as you are when you've got a training class in front of you, as you are when you're doing a one-to-one session, as you are with your mates when you go places with them, or I when you go... I am, by the way, but <laughs> you're a different person you're a different version of you in those different situations for you it might not be so obvious as it is for others because I think you're you're pretty comfortable in your own skin in the main but lots of people put the mask on that is different for those different situations and so we go in you go into a different mode in school and it's quite actually common for people with um, like ADHD and, and Asperger's uh, that they um, they mask during school and then it all comes out when they go home. So they contain it and then it, they need to release it when they go home. And so the school and the parents have a totally different impression of the kid. So yeah, a school situation is... So are we going to use the word conforming? So the kids are conforming to social norms because that's what everybody else is doing? Yeah, I think so. I think, I think most kids will... You know, most kids don't want to get in trouble. The kids that do want to get in trouble want to get in trouble because they need attention and they need attention because there's something missing and attention is be- any attention is better than not being seen. Hmm. So all behaviour serves a purpose, right? So the kids that, that buck the trend, who stand out, are doing it because they need that attention. It's not because they're bad kids. But generally, a kid will do anything to not get in trouble. Even, you know, whatever situations at home, most kids will do anything to not get in trouble. They do not like getting in trouble. I feel like I need to ask a wider scope of parents now, because there'll be some kids that will do it at home. And I wonder if it's an indicator of other things. I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. I think it's, as you say, it's a social norm. I think, I think we've talked before about Bruce Lipton's, it's the environment stupid concept. You know, the environment is a huge factor in learning as well, right? So your walks, do create an abnormal environment. There is That's nowhere exactly else. That's what I'm relating it to. Yeah. The dogs um, very quickly do the social norm of, right, we're all walking this direction and no one's attacking anybody. I'll do the same. Yeah. Right? So even the most aggressive dogs very quickly can go, <coughs> right, okay, we'll just do this. Yeah. But then people are seeing a different side when they go elsewhere. Um, <coughs> unless... In the early days, the unless days, they've yeah. done it enough, yes. that the, the dog... New habit, yeah. yeah. So the good thing about your walks is that because you have different people each day 
there are different dogs each day so it's not always your Daxies so they don't get used to the same dogs all the time and have that time just in that environment with those dogs so there's that that does create agitation and catalysts to different kinds of interactions but you still need to do that for long enough to be able to grow that pathway and your old one's not going to die off very quickly by the way so the old one doesn't go anywhere you're basically going to put up a roadblock on the other one so you've got this lovely shiny road going down here and then you've got this gravel path that you've just created and you want people to drive down the gravel path but why would they but you put a roadblock up but the shiny path's still there and you're, you're trying to get yours so it's it's going to be better to choose that takes time that takes time and consistent repetition to be able to do it you can't do it just by attending one attending a couple or thinking about it you have to have all those different situations that are similar and you have to learn from them rather than beat yourself up with a spiky stick for having regressed and being back at square one and I thought I was over this by now. All of those things are huge. So the environment factors in. The environment factors in with the school kids. It, they will be different. Right, Harry Enfield sketch, right? The Harry Enfield teenage, um, can't remember what it's called now, um, Kevin and Perry, right? So there is a brilliant sketch that Harry Enfield there's a series of sketches but there's the one where Kevin turns 13 and he's like this lovely little like 12 year old like oh I'm gonna get a game gonna get a new game for my, for my birthday and, and then he turns 13 he's like what what go away I hate you and it's just like actually kind of happens like that but his friend I think it's played by Kathy Burke or something so it's a, a boy played by a woman turns up at their house is like oh Mrs. Patterson you Mrs. Patterson like really polite and friendly to the parents of Kevin and then and then you know, when the parents phone Kevin's house, this character answers the phone and goes, what? <laughs> you know, so with their own parents, they're like, what a little shit, quite frankly. Um, but in an, a friend's house, they're a totally different kid. So we are different people in different environments. We all are. But must learn how to behave that we way. Do. We do. We learn social norms. We learn, you, you, you know, you're, yeah, brainwashing in school, you can call it that. You know, how does a teacher control a class full of kids when they can't hit them and shouldn't hit them? And they can't shout at them and shouldn't shout at them, although some of them will do. You know, how do you control a tension span of a gnat to pay attention to your learning without any mechanism of punishment, effectively, for doing it? At home, you can sanction. You can use sanctions, like taking the technology away and things like that. But at school, they've got very little, so they have to kind of get conditioning in so they get automatic responses to situations. It's good. I like it. Yeah, and, and it's the same thing. So people need to come on enough walks to have enough bad experiences, enough different wrong experiences to be able to learn from. And they need to learn from those experiences, not take the spiky stick out and beat themselves up for everything going wrong. Because you cannot fast track learning other than by making sure you always lock in everything you learn and focus on that, not what didn't work. Or accept that you've plateaued and avoid everything. Yeah. Well, you can you can <laughs> do that. That's a strategy too. Yeah, it's a strategy, but it doesn't uh, accelerate learning in any yeah, way, shape, or way. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't get you anywhere. So. Good. On that note, we that's shall. That's episode sixteen. Thank episode you very sixteen. Much for joining us. <laughs> yes, we better at wrap up. That's a lot. That we have a little tune that we should play. Uh, we totally should get a tune. We should totally get a tune. Yeah. Um, anyway, we'll have a tune at some point, <laughs> and it'll be the end of the podcast. Right. We'll speak to you all again soon.